Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, a big win for the women as they cut the gap at the top of the WSL. We reflect on Thomas Tuchel's first year in charge and Lampard's legacy. Look ahead to Saturday's Youth Cup tie and do a quiz. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight out of Cobham. Hello, listener. Here we are then for our second podcast of the week. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, joined by The Athletic's Dominic Fifield. Good morning, Matt. How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. Uh, also with us today, the former Chelsea Academy graduate, Sam Parkin. How are you doing? Very well, Matt. Good morning. That's not a very accurate intro, is it? Because A, it wasn't an academy in your time and you're not a former graduate. You, you graduated from it. You, that's not been yeah. taken away from you, that status. Yeah, and I was a, I was a professional for four years uh, who, who never went anywhere near the first team. <laughs> call, call me what you like. <laughs> former Chelsea professional who never went anywhere near the first team, Sam Parkin. Better. First up today, we're <laughs> reflecting on the women's team's latest outing. Flo Lloyd Hughes will join us to do that presently. Now Cuthbert, cut inside and have a go with the left foot. Erin Cuthbert and it's spilled to Bethany England to give Chelsea the lead. A landmark goal for England, her 50th in the WSL. It's Kirby. Cuthbert, this is a great opportunity and that is a great goal. From Aaron Cuthbert. The early goal, second half, I think that freed us to perform in the manner we did and dominant and, uh, you know, winners. Chelsea 2-0 winners against West Ham in the WSL on Wednesday night. The second time the Blues have beaten the Hammers over the last week. Second half goals from Bethany England and Aaron Cuthbert got the job done for Emma Hayes' team, who moved to within a point of Arsenal ahead of their game tonight as we record. Uh, Flo Lloyd Hughes joins us now to tell us more. Flo, this this was a, a big result given that it was the game in hand on the Arsenal and, and particularly given the disappointment against Brighton on Sunday. Yeah, and like you said, it's it's the second time in a week that, that Chelsea have beaten West Ham um, despite not being able to, to score in a couple of WSL games, that Reading game and the Brighton game, which is pretty rare. I think it's... 2018, the last time Chelsea failed to score in back-to-back WSL games. So it's not something that happens often, but in those two West Ham games, they've scored six goals. So it's a good sort of confidence boost, but they couldn't follow up that Conti Cup game with goals against Brighton. So, you know, they they need to try and build a bit of momentum um, ahead of a few very tasty uh, games on the horizon. Yeah, and speaking of big goals, felt like a big one for for Bethany England off the bench at half time. I mean, pretty significant that she didn't start the game, given that that Sam Kerr's away at the Asian Cup at the moment, isn't it? How's how's England's Chelsea future looking? Yeah, it's a weird one. She signed a new contract last season to 2024, and I think a lot of people were surprised about that because you would have seen the way Chelsea had recruited and thought, well, 
Bethany England wants to play for England, wants to start for England. And if she wants to play a lot of WSL football, she should probably look to go elsewhere. And there's plenty of teams in the WSL who would be crying out for a player like her because actually, a bit like the Premier League at the moment, there's a real absence of of striking talent uh, across the division. There's obviously like Chelsea got a lot of talent. Uh, Arsenal have got some big, big forward players, but... Across the league, there's a real absence of goals, uh, consistent goals. So it was intriguing, I think, that she signed that deal. Obviously, Chelsea are you play well. They were playing the Champions League, but they got knocked out. They got to the final, I think, at the point that she signed that contract. In all the big cup competitions, you, you know, she's still going to get winners' medals and stuff like that. But she's certainly a player that wants to play. She wants to be starting. And it is weird that she hasn't been starting in the absence of Kerr, but hopefully a performance like this is going to get her back into the starting lineup because that's all she wants. That was her 50th WSL goal, so she's a very good player. Um, I guess the good thing about her getting, or, or for Chelsea anyway, of, of securing her to that contract is if she does move in the summer, they'll get a transfer fee for it. Obviously, it won't be you know as much as we see in the men's game, but so often in the women's game, players leave on a free. Vivian Miedemar, one of the biggest you know, names in women's football could be leaving Arsenal for a free in the summer. And I think it's important that Chelsea are locking down some of their biggest names to contracts because it does mean that they'll get a little return when, when clubs do come in for them. It looks like we've got a proper title race, doesn't it? And not just Chelsea and Arsenal involved in it because Man United very much the form team and even City have cut the gap in, in recent weeks as well. Yeah, I've, I think a lot of people thought that City had a realistic chance of getting that third Champions League spot and it was going to be whether United could hold them off and, and keep consistent throughout the season, which they sort of struggled to do when they came really close under Casey Stoney. But actually, over the last couple of weeks, City have shown some title credentials, which I don't think anyone really saw coming after their woeful start to the season but it just shows how important these players coming back from injury have been for them. I don't think they were particularly good in that game against Arsenal at the weekend, but they're certainly much stronger than they were at the start of the season. And I think they probably will end up clinching that that third Champions League spot. But I do think, based on the last couple of weeks of football we've seen, Chelsea probably look like the strongest side right now, even though it's very, very tight. Very broad question, Flo. Um Considering the next month that, that Chelsea have got, um, how do you compare the the depth of the squads, uh, the teams that you just mentioned? Chelsea obviously struggling a little bit with, with Kerr and G missing, but do you think those two coming back just give the upper hand to Chelsea in, in terms of fighting all the, on all the different fronts? I think so, yeah. I think the way that Arsenal struggled recently, they still don't have a fully fit Leah Williamson. I think um, Magdalene Eriksson's fitness is going to be really, really core to, to the way Chelsea do in some of those big games coming up, the, the one against Arsenal as well, especially because she came off um, in that game that Chelsea lost in the Champions League and Emma Hayes always keeps her cards close to her chest and we still don't know how bad that injury is. I think, you know, most fans keep an eye out on the photos they get posted on social media from training and Magdalene Eriksson hasn't sort of seriously featured in a lot of those. Looks like it was an ankle injury, which she did suffer from last season and missed some games. So that's massive. Um, Anique Nguyen, who Emma Hayes bought in the summer, I think she's only maybe 21 or something. She started uh, back-to-back games uh, recently and, and has done quite well. So if she can sort of establish a place as a replacement for Ericsson, it'll be really important because losing your captain, 
really important player, very good player. And that defensive stability that Chelsea have already kind of lacked at points this season is massive. So I think that's the only depth issue for, for Chelsea. But even without Sam Kerr, I think they've shown that they've got enough ability going forward. They created, they're creating so many chances. It's just finishing them. Um, their XG is is absurd. It's it's so much higher than any other team in the division. Whereas I think that the issue with Arsenal is they suffer one injury like they did to Williamson and it feels like they completely collapse across the whole entire pitch. And as soon as Williamson came back into the side uh, midweek against Manchester United in a quarterfinal in the Conti Cup, they just lifted instantly. So it's actually, you know, for them, a, a much bigger impact losing one player. Whereas I think Chelsea can survive without Alexson. It, it does, you know, impact their defence stability, but I think they can survive. Um, whereas City, it's almost like, now they're, they're getting the best of their squad back. They do still have a, a 17, 18-year-old in goal in Kiara Keating and she actually hasn't been tested that much yet. So that's probably still a big issue for them and a big question mark is if players want to just bombard this teenager with shots, they might get a bit of joy. But Arsenal didn't do that on the weekend. So I think she'll have a much tougher time of it in the, in the coming weeks. Uh, so we might see some rotation, I guess, from, from Chelsea on Saturday when they begin the defence of the FA Cup they won last month. The way at Aston Villa in round four, it's Saturday lunchtime. You can watch it live on Chelsea TV with me and Katie Chapman. Uh, it's taking on a bit more significance, I guess, Flo, this because Chelsea are out of the Champions League. Yeah, massively disappointing. I don't think many people saw that coming. Um I suppose having also sort of won an FA Cup already this season, it's a bit of a weird one because they won last season's trophy. And that felt like Emma Hayes and Chelsea putting down a marker with that performance at Wembley. And it was, and then, but then after that, everything kind of unraveled. So I think this is a good opportunity for them to maybe re-establish themselves as the best team in England again with uh, an emphatic cup performance, get through to the next round. Uh, and yeah, just like I said, build some momentum for these big league games on the horizon and at a Conti Cup semi-final. I mean, they've won the last two Conti Cups and I imagine, you know, they they, they think they have a pretty good chance of, of winning three in a row. Uh, before we let you go, I noticed that Carly Telford's second spell at Chelsea came to an end this week. She's off to San Diego, which I'm very jealous of. Uh, a good servant to the club over both their spells. Yeah, and at, at the Brighton game on Sunday, she was really tearful afterwards, saying goodbye to all her teammates. She's a big character. She'd signed a sort of part coaching contract as well on her most recent deal with them. So she'd been you know, really heavily involved behind the scenes, hadn't really been playing much Um but, you know, very close relationship with the fans as well. They were giving, the Chelsea Women's Supporters Group were giving her a few sort of goodbye gifts as well. It was a really emotional, emotional day for her. But I think it's, you know, a good move. If, if she wants to play football, she wasn't going to get it at Chelsea this season. So Sira Musevic, the, the number two, is is very good and, you know, is is trusted now by Emma Hayes. So it'll be interesting to see how Telford does. I think she still, you know, would like to be in contention for going to the Euros this summer, at, you know, just even if it's just an experienced member of the squad, not necessarily starting every game. But Ellie Roebuck, who was England's number one, is still not fit yet. Mary Earps, who's been playing at number one for England, is still a little bit uh, accident-prone, a little bit error-prone. So, you know, Telford's not out of the picture. But, I mean, yeah, like you said, who wouldn't want to go to San Diego uh, at, I think, 33 years old, playing the sunshine with Casey Stoney? Sounds like the dream to me. Mm, very much so and yet here we are stuck on a Zoom in gloomy England um, Flo thank you so much for your company we'll speak to you again soon cheers guys
Thanks, Flo. Right, next today, we'll look back on a year of Thomas Tuchel as Chelsea head coach. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So this week, specifically Wednesday, marked the one-year anniversary of Thomas Tuchel as Chelsea head coach. We'll talk about him shortly, but first a word on the man he replaced. Uh, Dom's written a piece on Frank Lampard and where he goes next for The Athletic. Uh, I'll come to you in a minute, Dom, but but first of all, one thing I'm, I'm fascinated by is how the story starts with Bruce Buck texting Lampard and asking him to move the morning training session so he can come in for a chat in the boardroom. Um, Sam, if that if that ever happens, you find out from the manager last minute that training's getting moved, do you assume that manager is getting sacked? Y- yeah, <laughs> I would imagine so. <laughs> I think it's happened to me numerous occasions, um, t- to be honest. Um it's interesting. It would be interesting to know if Frank Lampard thought, can we just cut to the chase now over the phone rather than go in? But maybe with thinking about the bigger picture, a potential return to Chelsea one day, he probably had to play everything very much by the book. Um, but that must have been a bit of a desperate, I suppose it'd be a walk for Frank Lampard, wouldn't it, from uh, where he lives around to, to Stamford Bridge. But um, yeah, not the best news to wake up to. He could always walk to his pub afterwards, I suppose, and, and drown his sorrows. Um, Dom, there's lots of reports, as we record on Thursday morning, linking Lampard with Everton. I just wonder, from from reading the piece, I don't get the, the sense that he's got a burning desire to manage a club that isn't Chelsea. Is that is that right? I think he might... I think he might dispute that. I mean, obviously, instinctively, he would have that, that that was his dream job. I mean, but but I think he's realistic. He knows that he's lost that dream job, and he wants a career in management. Still, he wants to pursue that, and he's. I mean, maybe, maybe he's and he's admitted that in the uh, a bit of this, an element of this in the in the piece that he did with Gary Neville um, on the overlap, where he, he sort of talks a bit. At times, he's wondered whether he's he's looking for two too particular a job um too precise um and, and maybe sometimes you you just have to take the plunge a bit he describes himself as an overthinker but almost when he when he's given a proposition he'll sit there and and stew on it um and almost talk himself out of taking the plunge on a on a job and i think he i mean he 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 talked about that in the context of actually derby county initially which he ended up taking um, but that that was almost the exception that he he, he took the plunge that, on that occasion. Uh, I think I think he just wants 
I think he just wants a job where he feels that he will be backed by the ownership. They will share his ambition, uh, his enthusiasm, and he will feel as if he belongs. And the, the problem is there are not that many jobs out there that are like that. And Everton wouldn't certainly wouldn't come into that category, I don't think. And Everton is a club with so many different factions and so many different influences behind the scenes, whether they be agents, whether they be owners, whether they be chairman who've been there for so long. Um, you know, people have got their claws into that club and, and they, you know, influencing people, whispering in ears. And and the chaos of the last few days has been an illustration of that, where you've got a, one of the candidates going on live television and conducting his job interview. Um yeah, I mean, it's just bizarre. All, all bit whilst whilst the telephone is ringing, in said job interview in the background, almost as if somebody's ringing and saying, "What the hell are you doing? Just stop! Just stop!" I mean, it's it's just really, really weird. So it, it, it's a very volatile situation at that club. So whether that would be the right place for Frank to go, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, on paper, you'd think that Everton, with its heritage and and its potential spending, it's got it's got money behind it. Okay, they've, they FFP is an issue, but. There's a blank canvas there. there. There are no... I mean, Rafa Benitez got rid of all their backroom staff, including medical staff and recruiters. You'd think that there'd be an opportunity there to shape it into something that you you could make your own, but but it may be just too volatile, possibly. I mean, it, it, he, people may look at that, and Frank among them, and think, bit of a hiding to nothing on that one. So it'd be interesting to see where he does does end up, but I, th- I, got, the, I got the sense that he's he's keen to get back in. Well, it's going to be interesting to see where he ends up. I guess he might need to kind of check his ego at the door a bit, Sam, because on the one hand, he can say, I got Chelsea to an FA Cup final and got them in the top four. On the other hand, his previous job was at Derby. And in the piece, it explains that he was he was linked with the Bournemouth job before Scott Parker got it. And, and you think it might have to be Championship his next move, mightn't it? Um, I don't know. I think he'd still harbour hopes over getting a Premier League job. Think of the Aston Villa one. There seemed to have been a... Uh, a relationship there between the hierarchy at Aston Villa and Steven Gerrard, which meant they they went for him. But I mean, that one, I think would jump off the page for Frank Lampard right now as a really suitable job. And I don't know, I, you know, I agree with Dom. I think he, he will go back in. I think there's probably things that happened during the, the, the Chelsea role, which he will regret maybe, and and things where he'll need to improve. I think that tactical flexibility I think um, would be one personal relationships. I'm sure, you know, some players he maybe would have wanted to keep on board at, at Chelsea, where the relationship seemed to have deteriorated. Um, so I think there's there's one or two things that he'll probably look at over his period um, in charge of Chelsea that he'll want to tinker with next time. But you know, I, I always say, you know, for all players that are coming out of of playing. Um, I know Frank Lampard was a midfield player and I'm sure he was a, a huge student of the game. But the biggest thing I'm sure is standing at the side of the pitch with a responsibility to change formations, to see things in the game right in front of you. And that surely only comes with experience. And I'm, I think Frank Lampard would have a much better idea than most players because of those characteristics I've already described. But still, he's only had one year at Derby and then thrust into that Chelsea job very quickly uh, in terms of his managerial experience. So... He'll be better for that. And, you know, reading Dom's piece, he's been doing, you know, a lot of speaking to managers from different sports and stuff like that and, and growing. And he'll be better for it the next time he goes in and probably 
tactically will have more idea and and more flexibility in how he wants to set his teams up. Well, if he does want to get back in the Premier League, he could probably just hang on for a couple of months into next season, get the Fulham job when Marco Silva inevitably gets sacked and then he won't need to even move house. Um, well, it was just 24 hours after Lampard got the boot that Thomas Tuchel came in. 12 months later, Chelsea champions of Europe won the Super Cup and into a domestic cup final, having lost another last season. And whilst the title challenge will have to wait for another year, there surely can be no doubt that T2 has been a successful appointment. Uh, Simon's teamed up with Dom and Liam to profile Thomas Tuchel. Here's a tweet from KB Scott who asks, is TT following the same trajectory as every other Chelsea manager, being abrasive with players, them sulking, not winning the Premier League and the inevitable sack, even though everyone superficially loves him, especially fans, has Roman changed or does no one still know what he thinks? And Don, does it always come back to the to the same point with Chelsea that if top four's in jeopardy, the manager gets sacked? If not, you're pretty much going to stay in the job. Yeah, I, I think it does. I, I think it is that that basic. Um, there may be political fallout as well, and and if I mean, that was that's what tainted the the latter stages of Antonio Conte it was actually the second half of Antonio Conte's tenure at the club, but but. Primarily, yeah, it's about top four at the the bare bare minimum, and I, I think actually there, there will be times um, where the, the hierarchy look at it and think if this team is underachieving by finishing fourth and should be finishing higher, then then that puts your place in in, in jeopardy as well. And that that isn't going to change whether it's um, Thomas Tuchel or anyone really. But that said. I mean, I'm, I'm always, I'm, I'm not one for change. Actually, I was, I was still sitting here. I remember just before um, Frank Lampard got the, the boot. I was, I was, I was the, the sort of lone voice at the Athletics, sort of saying, actually, why, why are we changing this? Why, why would you change this? And I was proved completely wrong, um, not for the first time. Um, but I, 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 there is a bit more pressure. But I still think this season has been a, one of of progress. Really, I mean, it's difficult when you've. When you've won European football's ultimate prize at the end of your first four months in charge, because um, it makes you feel as if everything else is, even if you don't defend that title, it feels like a come come down, but a downturn. But but actually, I think that that there's, there has been progress in the in the Premier League. It's by no means a finished article at all, and there, there's going to be more chopping and changing. I think there has to be. Um, certainly, in the attacking sense, uh, they, they they haven't found the right balance at any point really this season, well only on occasion. Um, so that's a, a process that's ongoing. But you know, I would trust Thomas Tuchel to get that right. Certainly on a coaching sense, I think he would. He's improving players, and he, I would hope that that yeah, in a year's time, we're celebrating his second anniversary, and that there haven't been any of these political noises that, that you know behind the scenes unsettling noises uh, and that the the players completely buy into what he's trying to do because he's a coach of proper pedigree and is that what he's added then Sam that that Frank Lampard couldn't just based on on the relative experience of the two that that ability to kind of coach players and improve them i think so uh, it's all circumstantial isn't it when he came into the club there was i suppose deficiencies in the way that Chelsea were playing, especially defensively. So when he came in um, to make quite a few quick, bold decisions to the shape of the side and obviously, obviously the personnel as well, just paid off. So he looks like a genius immediately. 
Um, and he had the the luxury of probably looking through a few of the previous games and the patterns and uh, and such like. But yeah, of, of course. I mean, if the unthinkable was going to happen, where do you turn to next? I mean, this this guy is a is an incredibly gifted coach. It would seem um, seems relentless in the. The, the preparation and, and such like. And with that, he seems to have, I know there's a few difficulties right now, but he seems to have, you know, got the mood within the squad pretty good around the training ground. Everyone seems to have bought into it. Um, so, so yeah, they have to keep going because I think it's been a, it's been a brilliant year. The, the obvious flaws at the moment is in the, the goal scoring stakes and taking enough chances. And we said that during Frank Lampard's tenure, the amount of times I, remember seeing him face the press and bemoan one chance, one striker's missed chances or, or what have you. And it's continued into Thomas Tuchel's tenure. So whether it means he needs to make a few changes on that front or whether he can work with what he's got, we'll have to wait and see. But it's certainly, I don't think, down to him that they've, um, they, they've suffered some poor form recently. Well, that leads us nicely on to um, onto another point in the article, which tells us on the one hand that Cobham's a happy place to work under Thomas Tuchel, but on the other, apparently some forward players considering their future over the management of their game time. Dom, is Tuchel handling things correctly? Is this just the inevitable consequence of players who don't play as much as they want to not being happy about it? Well, that's that's the bottom line, I think. Yeah, it's, they're not getting regular game time. And, and these are... I don't think it'd be a surprise to anybody who these, who, who who would be unsettled at the moment, or who would be frustrated at the moment. You don't. You just have to look at who's who's playing and who's playing in the positions they want to play in, and 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 it's 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 not clicked very regularly. I know that they've had their wings clipped with Reese James and Ben Chilwell's injuries, which are very very untimely, and it's it's taken a dimension out of Chelsea's attacking play over the recent months. But but. I I personally think that they've, they've got so much talent in the forward areas that they should have done better. These players should have done better. Some of them should have stood up and, and basically taken the chances, the few chances that they've had and show that they should be in there every week and, and they haven't. And, you know, you can point to untimely COVID or you can, or untimely injuries as well, which may have checked progress. But I mean, just look at the, look at the talent at their disposal. Um, it's, you know, a few of them should have should have cemented places in in this lineup, and the very fact that we're we're going into we will go into February when they resume their Premier League campaign after the Club World Cup, isn't it? I mean, it's they they will. I, I still don't think we'll know precisely who Chelsea's best front three or front two, front five are. Really, I think it's and 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 that there may be some culpability there on on Tuchel, but I think there's more on the players' concern. Hardest part of the, the job, keeping everyone happy. Because on a on a Saturday lunchtime, 10 of the players hate your absolute guts. And that's across the board at, at all levels. Um, you don't have to like the manager, but you have to respect him. And if you can use it as fire in your in your belly to prove this guy wrong, that's good enough, mm. I think, for, for any squad. And I think Hakim Ziyech spoke, I don't know if it was recently, but I can't remember the word he used. It was... I think it was courteous or something like that, you know, about Thomas Tuchel. And, and that's what you've got to get right. You've got to get those conversations right with the fringe players, the ones you aren't picking to make sure that when they do play, they they put it in, even if it's because they want to prove you wrong. Um, so that, that that's the, the, the most important thing. But I don't envy these managers because there's always going to be disgruntled players. 
and I'm with Dom. Who can we say at the moment can say that they've been producing the goods? Mason Mount apart, Ziyech in the last couple of games, you know, none of these players have been consistently good enough. And, you know, you go back to Frank Lampard's first season. Yes, some of these players, Havertz, Werner, were acclimatising to the league. But in this season, we all anticipated them kicking on and they've not produced to the levels that we've expected. And that goes for Lukaku as well right now. So maybe a, a refresh of the squad over the summer might might work best for everybody, particularly Thomas Tuchel and, and his longevity. Uh, before we move on then, Dom, uh, pick a game other than the Champions League final that stood out to you as a, as a great Chelsea performance under Thomas Tuchel. Um, Juventus at home. Uh, the first 71 minutes of that game when, when Chilwell was still on the pitch. Um, just outstanding. They absolutely pulverised Juventus, um, okay, not a, not the best Juventus team of recent seasons, but still a, 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 a club carrying a huge kudos and, and, and pedigree and a team that had beaten Chelsea in Turin earlier in the group. Um, I just hope that that doesn't become the sort of pinnacle. I mean, it'll take a while for Ben Chilwell to get back to form, but that that was a that was a an evening where Chilwell and James on the flanks just made hay, and yeah, they just they just looked utterly outstanding as an, an attacking force. Strangely, it was a it was also an evening when when Lukaku was an unused substitute. Um, Sam, any standout performances for you? I think there's been a series of really good away ones this year. Uh, Arsenal, obviously. I thought Leicester in terms of how complete it was. Um, but I, because I was there as well, it was really, I don't know, it was a bit of a jump off the page kind of moment for me in terms of how good Thomas Tuchel was, was the semi-final against Manchester City. I thought that was such a complete performance. So controlled with the ball. I think, you know, Manchester City shaded the possession, but I thought Chelsea killed their kind of momentum when they needed to. They defended really well. I think Ziyech had a goal disallowed prior to his his winning goal. And it was just a, a performance that made me think, wow, he he is the real deal here. And I thought it was probably superior to the the Champions League victory. So yeah, all in all I thought that was yeah, it was it was a moment that I it really registered that, you know, Chelsea are that well they've they've got a top coach here and really going in the, the right direction. Can I throw a spanner in the works as well and also say Liverpool home and away this season? And I didn't win either of those games, but, but the particular circumstances around those two draws, I thought they were outstanding. And it said a lot for the on-field leadership as well as as well as well the, uh, the leadership from the dugout, but they were two very, very good performances as well. Uh, two very, very good pieces as well. Do make sure you read them both on Lampard and Tuchel, athletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber. All right, I put the call out for Twitter questions earlier this week. We're going to roll that over to Monday shows. We've had so much to talk about today. So don't worry if you submitted a question, we, we may well get to it next week. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the under-18s back in Youth Cup action on Saturday as they go to Liverpool in round five. Ed Brand's boys have already seen off Leighton Orient and Watford and will be buoyed by the fact that their big rivals in the competition for the last decade, Manchester City, are already out. Uh, you can watch this one on Chelsea TV with me and Sam on commentary, 5.30 kickoff UK time. 
Uh, Sam, I just wonder what, if any, advantage Chelsea have in that they've got Lewis Hall, Harvey Vale and Jude Soonsert-Bell in this squad. Charlie Webster as well has been on a first-team bench. Does that mean anything? Does that mean, you know, that they're all of a sudden they're massively experienced pros who can put their arm around the younger boys? By younger boys, I mean people who are probably two or three months younger than them. But probably not in, in that sense. I think internally um, they can use it as a benefit definitely you know it's down to their character when they come back to the the under 18s uh how they lead i suppose they should be able to you know really stand out in this type of game at that level but i don't think it has a massive impact i've just seen manchester city's under 23s recently and i think you know they completely mirrored the way that the first team play so i was really intrigued by that the collective and i think that's what will be the interesting thing about this game, do Liverpool play a very similar style to um, the, their first team? And I think that's that's probably more important than the individuals, really. It's how they're coached and how it conveys on the, uh, on the pitch. So I'm really looking forward to this game from that aspect rather than the individuals. But yes, I, I would imagine these boys at the moment are walking into the training ground and, and walking out onto the pitch with their, their heads held very high. Uh, you mentioned that under-23 game against Manchester City. That took place on Monday. You saw that one, a 1-0 defeat. They've been struggling a bit, haven't they, of late, the under-23s, but you're always going to have a tough game against City. Yeah, this was a really interesting game from a, a tactical aspect. I thought Chelsea were excellent and probably for the first time ever, really, at, at any level, academy-wise, they played a lot of the, the game behind the ball, you know, and it was all about communication, closing the gaps and defensively as a unit, they were outstanding. And in the second half, it was very similar to the Chelsea first team game at the Etihad where they had those counter-attacking opportunities and the under-23s actually made loads of chances, a stack of chances in the second half. And I haven't been able to speak to John Harley yet. We've exchanged a few messages and I think they were really pleased with the output of the players and were really unfortunate that they went down to a narrow defeat. And you could tell from the Manchester City celebrations that that felt, you know, almost like a title-defining victory. I know it's quite tight between them and West Ham, but you could you could hear from the, uh, the decibel levels that the Manchester City players were absolutely thrilled. But yeah, uh, for a depleted Chelsea side, I thought that was a really good showing. No game, by the way, for the under-23s this weekend. They're next in action on Friday of next week. That's the 4th of February when they go to Arsenal. Right then, we'll finish, as we always do, on a Thursday with our quiz. It's a winter slash international break. There's no specific theme to the questions. Just do your best. Uh, Three per contestant. Very high standard from you two in, in recent weeks. Sam, you're up first. Which Chelsea player has earned the most points in the Premier League's fantasy football game this season? Should know that, shouldn't I? Mm, Yeah, you regularly appear on a fantasy football podcast. That's why I put it in there. I would have gone for a defender, but I'm going to go for Mason Mount. Mason Mount is correct. Um, you can have 50 bonus points if you can tell me how many points he's got. Uh, <laughs> how many games have we had? About how many games have we had? 25? 23? No uh, 140. Oh, I thought you were going to get it for a second then. It's 104. <laughs> um, 
One point, though. Anyway, uh, Dom, you're up next. This one is is quite a, a sequential, logical question. Which Chelsea player has earned the second most points in the Premier League's fantasy football game this season? Oi. Um, give me my chain of thought, which is annoying. <laughs> Could it still be Rudiger? Was it a clue? Sorry. Can no, you wait, a minute, wait, 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 wait. It'd probably be. Well, would they have classed Reese James as a Reese James? That your final answer? <laughs> Probably over Monday now, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, Reese James, go for it. Oh, it's a shame because you muttered Tony Rudiger, and that's actually the correct answer. No. Never mind. Uh, Rudiger's got 102 points. It's the one year I've, I've, I've scrapped fantasy football from my <laughs> life, and it's so much better as a result. Yeah, I'm totally <laughs> doing that next season. Um, right, 1-0 one, one to Sam then. Here's your second question, Sam. We've been talking anniversaries today. This week marks the 15-year anniversary of Chelsea squeezing past fellow two-time European champions Nottingham Forest in the fourth round of the <laughs> FA Cup, winning 3-0 at Stamford Bridge. The player who opened the scoring that day did so with what was just his second goal for the club, his first, having come in round three of that season's competition against Macclesfield. Name that player. <laughs> no, no idea. 2000, 2007? Yeah. Two thousand. I've got nothing. Nothing. Um, Sherla. Uh, no, that was a, a long time later. Um, can you steal it, Dom? Two thousand and seven. The player who scored yeah. his first goal. His, a his second first goal. goal for the club was in round three. His second was in round four against Forest. So who joined in two thousand six or seven? Sheva? The answer was John Obi Mikel slash John Mikel Obi slash Obi John Mikel, depending on what day of the week it is. That was subject to a 5,000 word piece earlier this (laughs) year. Yeah, you did write about his goal against Forest. No, dude. All right, so it's still 1 0 to Sam. This to draw level then, Dom. Um, I'm annoyed about this because you kind of alluded to it in the group chat yesterday and I'd already written the question at this point. Uh, who was the last Crystal Palace player to score a goal against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge? Right, we lost 3-0 this season, 4-0 last season. Well, I reckon I've got that. Come to me, Matt. <laughs> Is it an ex-Chelsea player by any chance? There's no further clues. Um, so that would have been 1890. Uh, Patrick Van Arnold is incorrect. Sam, can you steal it? Wasn't there a 2 2 or something at the bridge and Ben Teke scored a little dink? I assumed it would be Ben Teke when he invented this question in my head, but it was not. The answer is Andros Townsend, a 3 1 defeat, November 2018. Not off the mark. You've got to hope. That uh, Sam gets this question wrong, so that you're still in with the. Chance. I don't think that's right. Right, let me check it. I think Patrick Van Aert scored in a two-one defeat in in the following the following year. I don't think questions about goal scorers against Macclesfield in two thousand and five are right. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> that's the hardest question ever. <laughs> no, it was two 0 that year. It was two 0 We just just two 0 Right. Was that Ben Teke? So the question was right then. Yeah, you. I think you're right. 
okay. So when did when did Patrick Van Arnold score? Oh, that would have been that, that would have been seventeen eighteen. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very good. But... Sorry. Apologies. Apologies. Okay. Apologies. Sorry. Well done. <laughs> right. Come, let me oh, count my God. victory. Final question then, Sam. <laughs> this, this this to win it. Before getting walloped 5-2 by Sam Allardyce's West Brom in the 15th game of his reign, how many goals had Chelsea conceded under Thomas Tuchel in his first 14 matches as head coach? I'm not going to go back over the games. That's ridiculous. But is it two? It is two. That oh. is absolutely Bravo, Sam. Uh, can you can you remember any of those goals? I remembered one. Let's look up the other. Um, Didn't Southampton score against them? They did. Yes, that's one. Do you remember the goal scorer? Oh, someone Ooh. dreadful like Shane Long. No, not Shane Long. No, we'll be here all day with this. It was Takumi Minamino who got that goal. But the first <laughs> goal that Chelsea conceded was a Tony Rudiger own goal in a two-one win. At Sheffield United. Oh, so those were the two goals. Very good. Uh, Dom, it means that this, this question is, is purely to restore some pride on what's been going <laughs> There's really no pride involved in this. Um, here it is, the final question. Chelsea play Plymouth in the FA Cup next week. Which Chelsea Academy graduate will be hoping to feature? He's played in all but two league games for Argyle this season and did the 120 minutes against Birmingham in round three. I don't think I've ever won by two clear goals. <laughs> You're going to win you by three. Well, don't you? So you can steal. <laughs> Um, no, I don't have a clue, I'm afraid. Sorry. Baker. Sam, tap it in to claim the match ball. Jordan Houghton. Jordan Houghton is the correct That's a slaughter. <laughs> that is a hammering. Well done, Sam. Thank you, Don. Uh, means a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, Right, Dom, claw back some respectability. Tell us about the excellent work that you've been doing this week and the athletic subscribers. Well, I'm going to get my own back on Sam here. By uh, Sam isn't aware quite how much, he, how heavily he features in that 90th minute substitutes piece, but it basically <laughs> reads like an interview. Um, so that that will go out at some point over this international break, um, this winter break. Sorry, but uh, yeah, that 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 is the that is my principal work at the moment. And then there's obviously a lot of transfer window stuff. Not Probably not that much connected with Chelsea, but uh, but elsewhere. Uh, well, if you want some Chelsea transfer stuff, the Athletics Derby County writer Elias Burke has profiled Dylan Williams, the young defender Chelsea have signed from Derby. Uh, other Chelsea stuff up on the Athletic includes a piece that Liam and Simon have teamed up for around Christian Pulisic, his value to the US men's national team and what's happening with him at Chelsea. Uh, Sam, you must be absolutely thrilled, not just with your quiz performance, but the fact that you and I are joining together for commentary for the first time in a long time on Saturday. Yeah, really looking forward to it. Um, <laughs> Liverpool away, big tie. Memories of them getting smashed by Manchester United a few years ago, so the draw's not been particularly kind. But um, yeah, looking forward to it. Lewis Hall is going to do the business. Half past five UK time if you want to join us for that one. We'll be back on Monday with another podcast. We'll be reflecting on the women's game at the weekend. That Youth Cup tight too and answering your questions. Do join us for that if you can. From all of us here though, for now, it's goodbye. The Athletic.